Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, to reconcile to God all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. Now I'm going to read it a little differently. I'm going to actually say it to him this time. If you'd like to close your eyes and let me speak on your behalf to Jesus. You are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by you all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through you and for you. And you are before all things. And in you all things hold together. And you are the head of your body, the church. You are the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything you might be preeminent. For in you the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through you God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of your cross. This is a song. Did you know that? That Paul is quoting what they call the hymn to Christ. This is one of the earliest Christian worship songs. And it is jam-packed with rich and, and meaty affirmations about who Jesus is. He pre-exists everything. He's the only, the unique Son of God. He's called the firstborn of all the creation. And we instantly go, wait a minute, does that mean there was a time before he existed? And the church fathers say, begotten, not created. And we go, what does that even mean? And they say, eternally begotten, not created. And they get very upset. Everything exists through him. Amen. Everything exists for him. Everything finds its fulfillment in him. And in redemption, he then becomes the head of his body, the church. So he's first before creation, unique in his relationship to the Father. 
He's unique in creation in that he's the agent through which God creates everything. He's unique in redemption, the one through whom God brings everything back to himself. This first worship song says an awful lot. And I find it fascinating that Paul, when dealing with Christians who are much afraid and much convinced that there are powers at work in the world that are threatening and intimidating and scary and they have to arm themselves with more spirituality, more fastings and more codes and more keys and more holiness. That Paul quotes to them a song they probably already know. To say, hold up, why are you intimidated Don't you know who Jesus is? How can you be scared of little things in the universe when you're connected, completely connected to this great, big, massive, strong, like incomprehensibly strong Jesus? Here's how big he is. The universe exists inside him. Here's how big he is. The structures, the molecular structures, the chemical structures, the biological structures, the physical structures, and the spiritual structures of all the whole universe are held, functioning as they do, by his will. Every breath we breathe, every thought in every demon's head is functioning on borrowed molecules that Christ holds together. It kind of changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? And so in eternity past, let me just reread. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's this wild idea that for eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been doing all right. What have they been doing? Have you ever thought about that? Don't you just get bored if you sit around doing nothing? So what if they weren't sitting around doing nothing? I'm a big fan of boredom. By which I mean, we don't really have real fun until we allow ourselves to stop having being tickled by entertainment. Oh, that's great. Tickle me now. Oh, that's great. That's funny for a little bit. And then after a while, you want to slap those people and stop eating sugar, eat some meat, take a nap, and go do something useful with your day. Anyone else? Right? Like Christmas break, don't you go, I'm glad this is temporary because that's enough sugar and vegging. Can we get back to work? Work is more fun. No, I'm the only one? Okay, maybe I'm not. But boredom is helpful. You need just enough boredom to make you dig a little deeper and go, let's do something meaningful with our time. And for eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were doing something deeply meaningful. They weren't sitting around lonely waiting for you and I to show up to complete them. Don't misunderstand me. He loves us. But we were created as an overflow 
of the joy and the fullness, something so great they just had to share it with others. And do you know what it was? So here's the father, and he looks, and here's his son. The Bible also calls Jesus the Word of God. If you look in Genesis 1, you see all three persons of the, of the Trinity right then and there. And so here's the Father, and he gives his own divine life, his own essence, what he is. He's a spirit, and he gives his eternal self to his Son in love. And the Son receives, as a gift, nothing earned about it, the Father's life. And he says, whoa. And in love, he gives back you. He receives and he responds. And the Spirit says, whoa. And he receives and he responds. And forever in eternity past, there's been this, the, the church fathers called it this dance. You feel that? I feel the Spirit of God right all over this, this little thought. There's this been, been this eternal dance of love. No, there's, no earn, there's not been any earning going on in eternity past. There's not been any performing going on. There's not been any measuring up. There's not been any selfishness going on. It's been this eternal dance of you. <gasps> Me? You. Me? You. Of receiving and returning God's actual essence in life. So it's just too bad that Jesus then had to become a human and that whole thing stopped, right? Then he got into religion, had to get praying. And... Oh, wait, no. No, that's how he lived when he became one of us too, isn't it? He just received life and love for, and, the, and, the, and the actual essence of the Father and he would return it back to the Father in unbroken communion and the Spirit would empower that thing and so he would walk around saying, hey, I'm the Son, I can do nothing on my own. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing through my union with my Heavenly Father. Well, Jesus, where'd you learn that? He's been doing this for millions of years. It's just too bad we can't get in on that. You know what I mean? We just got to be at a distance, all sinful and broken, and occasionally say some prayers. Maybe if we give a couple more offerings and read, read our Bibles just a little more faithfully, we'll be able to be allowed to come near it and smell it, look at it and go, wow, that looks cool in there. I wish I could go inside. It's just too bad we can't get in on that. Oh, wait, no, that's the whole gospel. We get taken into that. We get, we get taken in. That Jesus, the way he's receiving unearned love from the Father, the actual presence of God in him, through him, making him who he is, and then returning it back in love. He goes, as the Father loved me, so, have I lo so I've loved you. Just remain in my love and you'll bear much fruit. Notice he didn't say, I'm telling you right now, if you don't remain in my love, I'm going to mark your name off the list. That's not what he's saying. The extent to which we abide in that is how much fruit our lives are going to bear. Imagine an all-you-can-eat buffet, but you still got to get up and eat. And everything you ate changed you. 
That's a bad metaphor. Because you don't have to get up. He's here. You don't have to go somewhere and do something. He's in you. You just remember, oh yeah, I'm in Christ. And you receive, yes, Lord, your life, your love, your essence, your nature, you're in me. I've been included in this eternal dance. You are exactly what God looks like. But guess what? Oh, man. You could say it this way. Jesus is a Christian. (laughs) He's the first Christian. And he's the normal Christian. And the Father is the one doing his work in Jesus. He's abiding in his Father. And again... The firstborn, we think firstborn, okay, he was born, it's about that. No, 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 first, you got to th- think, think how they, that culture would have thought about it. What's the significance of the firstborn in a family? It's the one who receives the inheritance. Because we're, 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 we're like, oh, it means he was created. No, that's not the point of saying that. The point of saying that is the place he holds in the family, the place he holds in relationship to the Father. And again, oh, it's just too bad we can't get in on that, right? Oh, wait. Gospel? There's a gospel? It doesn't all have to do with us. It has to do with us getting in on something we didn't make happen. When you talk about obedience to Jesus, sometimes grace people go, oh, well, obedience isn't really necessary because we're under grace. And I just make weird faces. Because grace has more to do with not earning and less to do with not walking in. In fact, it has everything to do with walking in him. Grace is that thing that actually... enables us to freely walk in Him. We sometimes think of grace as like God's wink and smile after we royally screw everything up. Now that's His mercy. (laughs) His grace actually picks us up, removes the shame and the stain, and gets us back in fellowship with Him where things are right and whole and good again. Right? There's something so much better about not being punished. And that's being blessed. I have so much more that I want to comment on this passage, so I'll save it for other weeks. But it just seems to me like, man, Jesus, unique, utterly unique. Not not another religious teacher. And... And certainly not, um, man, this whole series of Colossians, I decided to call it a bigger Jesus because the whole point of the book, it was written because Paul's going in frustration, right? Paul's really frustrated. Oh my word, you guys are doing what now? You need a bigger Jesus. I better write you a letter and get you a bigger Jesus. And you know, Paul, when he wrote Colossians, Colossians, he wasn't thinking, perfect, we got it. He was thinking, you know, as good as this book is, he's a lot better than I know still. We just, you, ever t- you know when you, 
you come up against the limits of human words, it's just like, I'm going to have to throw you off the cliff for you to get this rather than just stand and describe the cliff. That's probably not the right metaphor either. But how do you describe the greatness of Jesus? Well, this is just so cool to me. For, I just want to say a couple more things about the fact that this is a song. Sometimes, sometimes, the sermon is good, but you forget it. But the song, you remember. And the song will take the truth deeper than the sermon could. You guys know I'm right. And there's something about music. You can say it, but if you sing it, it makes it three-dimensional. When we were fasting this last time, we were having our little service of prayer, and the music stopped, and I felt it go. And I said, <gasps> and I ran to the stage and got, got played more electric guitar and got, got more going because it was giving voice to our souls and spirits, not just our thoughts. Yeah. And there's something so cool that Paul, when he's, because I bet you, I bet you, this, this song to Jesus, when they read it, they didn't go, um, he is the image of the invisible God. Of, oh, I see what you're saying. That's a, that's a logical point. That's a good point, Paul. No, there was music playing in their heart. There was a soundtrack. You know what I'm talking about. When, when the sad part of the movie's happening and the, or the meaningful turn of events where the crux of the film is happening and like the hero is making the sacrifice, the good choice, and everything is coming in, and there's music. And if, what if they didn't have that music? What if it was just like, you could hear people, people's joints creaking and hear them breathing in through their nostril hairs? Yeah, help. But you put that music there and you go, now we're talking, now the meaning of this is, I guarantee you when they heard these words, there was music. I've been just, taken up by this whole concept of everything about Jesus and how do you say it. I posted on our Facebook, church Facebook, a song that came from Kansas City IHOP and Stephanie Gretzinger and some other people led this song, this worship song at a, a conference called um, Jesus. <laughs> it's brilliant. What a brilliant idea. A conference called Jesus where you where you worship Jesus and celebrate him and talk about who he is. <laughs> Glorious. I'd encourage you guys to spend some time with that, with that song and with that, you know, because that's putting this into words, you know. All is for your glory. All is for your name. All is for your glory. That in all things you would have the first place. That in all things you would have preeminence. Can you sing that with me? All is for your glory. All is for your glory. 
that in all things you would have the first place. That in all things you would have preeminence. There's just something about not just saying it, not just reading it, but bringing it to him in the rightness of it. Yes, Lord. This is where, and I hate to say it this way, uh, uh, no, I'll put, no, I'll, I struggle so much to say things the right way. This is where history is headed? No, that's, it's, it's more than that. We talk about being in the end times and in the last days. And we think that means a logical progression. We're going to start here. History is going in a line. And then, boom, it ends. But that's not how end times work. Because it keeps going. <laughs> So what does that mean? It means telos, the goal or end, right? The goal of golf is to put the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. That's the end. That's the goal. What the end times mean is the times when God's purposes are finally coming to fulfillment, you guys. It's not the time when all hell comes unhinged and then we all go, ah! It's the time when the glory of Jesus is rightly seen on the earth. And yeah, some stuff goes wrong. <laughs> not going to lie. There's, it's not like going to go off without a hiccup or two. I know, I know. All men will hate you because of me. But the end times are the times when the gospel is taking over. It's the time right before the Lord returns and this thing gets so much better. I just, like, bigger Jesus. A bigger Jesus changes our view of church. A bigger Jesus changes our view of sin. A bigger Jesus changes our view of demons and angels. A bigger Jesus changes our understanding of the end times. A bigger Jesus, well, this is what the church says, takes away our fear of death. Have you seen it happen? Have you been in people's hospital rooms and they're ready to go? It's the sweetest thing. One time I visited Lydia. <laughs> Do you remember this? You probably don't. You were at Nanticoke and I went in there and I was thinking, this could be it. You just never know. You just never know. This could be it. And I thought I was going there to encourage you. I walked out of there having said nothing. You said to me, Tim, you don't, you just don't even understand the hope. The hope. Tim, the hope. <laughs> well, thanks for the boost. <laughs> oh, I should stop preaching. Oh, my word. A bigger Jesus, you guys. A bigger Jesus. Well, this wasn't really much of a sermon, but it was more of a worship time where I just worshiped and you guys stood there or sat there, I stood, okay, that's enough. I'm scrambled in my brain now, I'm very emotional. Let me get off the stage. Prayer team, let's just ask Holy Spirit about what to do with a little prayer time. Uh, God, if there's anyone specifically that you wanna to bring to our attention, any names, any clothing colors, any life situations, challenges occurring, to spend special time praying together for whether, whether you want to say it to these up here 
or the body out there, you guys are just as spiritual. Reveal that, God. Did you, any of you guys at the front, did you hear anything, sense anything? If Cheyenne Borders is here, I'd like you to come up here. Because that's the name I got during worship. That's not one of the prophetic words you got to interpret. Anyone else? You got? Um, I had um, people with struggling with uh, nightmares and depressions. So this morning, um, when Mike prayed for our family, our breakfast prayer, he just thanked the Holy Spirit, and he said, thank you that you live in us and flow through our home. And I thought, wow. I just saw the wind of the Holy Spirit, how it enters us, and it, and it creates this space where we're refilled. And so if a refilling is one of the things that you need for yourself or for your home, when I sat down after our pre-service prayer time, I just asked God a little bit more to show me a little bit more what that wind does. And I saw how in a fire the embers will burst into flame again when there's just the slightest breeze. And how Ezekiel saw the dry bones completely come back to life. And so that's my prayer for our family, that dry bones will continue to come to life, and for our church family. This past week, Isaiah 66, and I'm going to read it in the, uh, the message version. It says, living worship to God. I think it goes along with your sermon somewhat. Heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool. What sort of house could you build for me? What holiday spot reserved for me? I made all this. I own all this. God's decree. But there is something I'm looking for. Person, simple, plain, reverently responsive to what I say. This next thing I'm going to share, I don't really like to, I don't like to talk about myself too much. Because I, I don't want to, I have this fear of, like I'm boasting or something. It's boasting in the Lord. It's not about me. It really isn't. But out in the streets of Seaford and Monday through Friday in the morning, I asked the Lord one day, where are you at? I was standing in front of Royal Farms, and he had me look into my excursion in the passenger seat, and I said, oh, okay. And that's the lady that I pick up and take there and, she hops back in, I take her back home, and I've been able to minister to her. And here, and this has been going on since last April. And so here lately, I felt like, you know, what fruit is going on here? I, I just feel like there's nothing happening. And he reminded me this past week. He said, you remember when I had, you were standing in front of Royal Farms and I asked you, to, you asked where I was and I was sitting in your excursion? So that's what he wants me to do. That's, it's that family. It's, and I see uh, this past week she had trouble with her one eye, and I took her in to get a prescription, and she couldn't get it. And uh, they hadn't sent the email. And uh, anyhow, later on that day, I went and uh, picked up her son from the school because he was having pink eye. 
Anyhow, when I dropped her off at home after trying to get her prescription, I just put my hand on her and said, can I pray for you? And, and, and so I prayed that the whole family would be healed with, with all their diseases, everything. She didn't need that prescription. She never got it. Her eye healed up and so did her son's. Nothing happened there. The scripture here, it's just plainly someone that hears the voice of the Lord and just does what he asks to do. Am I perfect at it? No, I'm not perfect at it. I open that up to just encourage you guys in that faith comes by hearing, <laughs> hearing the word of the Lord, what he has to say, rhema. That's where faith comes from. Man, don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on it. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, there's hard stuff that happens, but it's fun. I just wanted to maybe open that up to anyone who may be struggling with that. that you know, we can pray for you and ask God to open up your ears if you're having struggles with that, that you hear him clearly. This was just coming to me while Carl was talking. So in the Bible, in Joshua, it talks about how the people, you know, went around the city and they, and they walked around and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and the walls of Jericho fell, fell down. You know, as we've been praying up here and praying together, there's walls that are coming down. There's, there's burdens that are being lifted. And I just felt like the Lord said for us to keep doing that, keep praying, keep keep pressing in because the more we press in the more God's going to do and I just feel like as we pray as we seek the Lord breakthrough is going to come and we just got to continue praying you know because it's easy to get into a religious duty but we don't do that out of religious we do it because of a relationship that we walk with Jesus I know some people have been walking around around this building and God is is doing some mighty things like breakthrough, breakthrough is, is here and breakthrough is coming for lots of things. So, so let's just keep praying and not, and not get distracted and just keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Um, about a month ago, my brother was, had the flu and I was really upset. And then um, I prayed and after that night, he was awake before me, and then he was absolutely really happy. Awesome. And I was super happy about that. Isn't that good? Yeah. God hears you and answers your prayers and loves you and your brother. It's so awesome. Is there anybody who's sick who needs pray for, prayer for? Before people come up, I'm just going to pray over the congregation about a few things that I felt the Lord was telling me to pray about. It's more about thankfulness. He's been walking me through a season of joy and thankfulness and, and um, intimacy, and I just want to pray over that. Father, thank you that you're the Father that wipes away our tears. You're the Father that kisses us goodnight. You're the Father that we can rest in your arms. You're the Father who not only fights our giants, but you also teach us how to fight our own giants, too. You're the father of intimacy. You want us to go deeper with you than words can't describe. Intimacy to you is just 
being closer than the marriage, closer than it's just being completely one with you, Father. I pray over this congregation, joy, joy throughout this evening, joy throughout this week, just a pour out of joy. I've had experience of joy on me that only came from you in the in the midst of a desert season, and I know that joy can come from you and, and be unexplainable, that it only is from you, Father, and I'm asking that upon our congregation right now. I'm asking that everybody's going to wake up the next morning and just feel this beautiful piece of joy upon them. They're going to hear birds singing over them. They're going to feel rested and awake and hungry, hungry for time with you, hungry with time with their family, hungry with just being present in the moment. I thank you, Father, that you're a father that will do anything for their children, Father. You're an amazing father. In Jesus' name, amen.